He wouldn't have lasted a day. He was wearing driving gloves, ugly black leather ones with knuckle holes. He had a dog in the back of the car, a beefy Rottweiler, exactly the dog you would have guessed a guy like that would have. The man was a walking cliché. The dog didn't worry him too much. He knew how to kill dogs. Ray got out of the car and walked round to the back bumper to inspect the damage. The Honda driver started yelling at him. You stupid fucking twat! What do you think you were doing? English. Ray tried to think of something to say that would be non-confrontational, that would calm the guy down. You could see he was a pressure cooker waiting to blow, wanting to blow, bouncing on his feet like an out-of-condition heavyweight. Ray adopted a neutral stance, a neutral expression, but then he heard the crowd give a little collective <gasps> of horror, and he registered the baseball bat that had suddenly appeared in the guy's hand out of nowhere and thought, Shit. That was the last thought he had for several seconds. When he was able to think again, he was sprawled on the street, holding the side of his head where the guy had cracked him. He heard the sound of broken glass. The bastard was putting in every window in his car now. He tried unsuccessfully to struggle to his feet, but only managed to get to a kneeling position, as if he were at prayer. And now the guy was advancing with the bat lifted, feeling the heft of it in his hand ready to swing for a home run on his skull. Ray put an arm up to defend himself and thought, Jesus, is this it? He'd given up. He'd actually given up. Something he'd never done before. When someone stepped out of the crowd wielding something square and black that he threw at the Honda guy, clipping him on the shoulder and sending him reeling. He blacked out again for a few seconds, and when he came to, there were a couple of policewomen hunkered down beside him, one of them saying, Just take it easy, sir. The other one on her radio calling for an ambulance. It was the first time in his life that he'd been glad to see the police. Martin had never done anything like that in his life before. He didn't even kill flies in the house. Instead, he patiently stalked them, trapping them with a glass and a plate before letting them free. He was fifty and had never knowingly committed an act of violence against another living creature. He had stood in the queue waiting for someone else to intervene in the scene unfolding before them, but the crowd was in audience mode. Even Martin had wondered at first if it was another show, a faux impromptu piece intended either to shock or to reveal our immunity to being shocked, because we lived in a global media community where we had become passive voyeurs of violence and so on. That was the line of thought running through the detached intellectual part of his brain. His primitive brain, on the other hand, was thinking, Oh, fuck. This is horrible. Really horrible. Please make the bad man go away. He wasn't surprised to hear his father's voice in his head. Pull yourself together, Martin. His father had been dead for many years, but Martin often still heard the bellow and yell of his parade ground tones. When the Honda driver finished breaking the windows of the Silver Peugeot and walked toward the driver brandishing his weapon and preparing himself for a final victory blow... Martin realized that the man on the ground was probably going to be killed by the crazed man with the bat, right there in front of them, unless someone did something. And instinctively, without thinking about it at all, he slipped his bag off his shoulder and swung it hammer-throw fashion at the head of the insane Honda driver. He missed the man's head, but his laptop was in the bag, and the hard, weighty edge of it caught the Honda driver on the shoulder and sent him spinning. The nearest Martin had been to a real crime scene previously had been on a Society of Authors trip around St. Leonard's police station. Apart from Martin, the group consisted entirely of women. You're our token man, one of them said to him. 
and he sensed a certain disappointment in the polite laughter of the others, as if the least he could have done as their token man was be a little less like a woman. The tour hadn't had much relevance to the kind of books that Martin wrote in the person of his alter ego, Alex Blake. They were old-fashioned, soft-boiled crime novels featuring a heroine named Nina Riley, a gung-ho kind of girl who had inherited a detective agency from her uncle. The books were set in the 40s, just after the war. It was an era in history that Martin felt particularly drawn to. The monochrome deprivation of it, the undertow of seedy disappointment in the wake of heroism, the Vienna of the Third Man, the home counties of Brief Encounter, when he wrote the first Nina Riley book, it had been a surprise to find that he was being published. He had written the book to entertain himself, and suddenly he was sitting in a featureless London office, feeling he had to justify the nonsense he had created to a young woman who seemed to find it difficult to keep her mind on him. Making a visible effort to look at him, she said, What I see is a book I can sell, a sort of jolly murder mystery. People crave nostalgia. The past is like a drug. How many books do you envisage in the series? Series? Martin had recently sold the television rights for the Nina Riley books. In the two-dimensional fictional world that she inhabited, Nina Riley had so far solved three murders, a jewel theft and a bank robbery, retrieved a stolen racehorse, prevented the kidnapping of the infant Prince Charles from Balmoral, and on her sixth outing, foiled a plot almost single-handedly to steal the Scottish crown jewels. The seventh... The Monkey Puzzle Tree was currently new in paperback and was featured on the three-for-two tables in every bookshop. The seventh was darker, everyone seemed to agree, but despite this, his sales remained buoyant, according to his agent, Melanie. No end in sight yet, Martin, she said. Melanie.